your phone dings at 1.30 in the morning, usually is not good news. My phone danged a little, uh, danged, uh, dinged, whatever it did, it dinged about a little past 1.30 this morning. Wasn't the first time I'd been awake, but I woke, picked up my phone and looked at it kind of like this, you know, you know what I mean? Kind of look at it like that. No glasses. I didn't want to open the drawer, pull out the glasses. Didn't want to go find a contact and put it in the middle. Pull it up and I thought, I can't read that. <laughs> put it back down. thought, it can't be that important. And I put it back down. <laughs> so, the lesson is, if something is so important, you need me at 1.30 in the morning. I can't imagine why you would. Call. <laughs> Don't text because I can't read it at 1.30 in the morning very well. It was, it was just Kyle letting me know his situation and all. And so I got that a little bit later when I got up. But anyway, uh, Kyle, I'm sorry if you're paying attention this morning. You probably sound asleep somewhere, but if you're paying attention, sorry, I didn't read it last night. I didn't read it till I got up this morning. So there we are. Here we are at the beginning. And yet... In some ways, it doesn't seem like a beginning at all, does it? But we do have kind of those points of beginning. And so let's reflect a little bit this morning. Let's take a little time and reflect, and then let's figure something out. I want to offer to you some thoughts today, and I'm going to give you the best I can. They may not be, I can't say that they're absolutely right in every respect, but their best understanding, and I think they've got some good insights in them, or I wouldn't share them with you. If I wasn't at least somewhat convinced in them, I wouldn't share them with you. I'm going to be looking in Acts 22 in just a moment. Looking at verses 6 through 10 is the point at which Paul underwent a great change, talked about the great change he underwent in his life. But to lead up to that, I want to say, no matter what you think about the last nearly three years, no matter what you think about it politically or medically or anything like that at all, there is something that I believe is true. There have been some changes as a result that have come our way. Yes, there are natural changes that come anyway, but there have been some kind of challenging, some straightforward, some... uh, undesired changes that have come our way. Some of them are challenges that are yet to be overcome. Some of them maybe will go away. But some of them, I believe, have worked for the betterment of us when they've come our way. I've got to believe that about the only people who have truly enjoyed the past three years are the people who have learned to make a profit from it. And those people, don't you wish you were one of those people? Maybe you were one of those people. I think the liquor companies that learned how to make hand sanitizer made a fortune during the time. Some restaurants gained uh, from the drive-up and drive-through food purchasing in a better way than they had even before that came about. Home delivery products through Amazon and other deliveries, the online shopping, just went wild and continues to be that way as a result. And since everyone was at home for a time, hiding at home and baking bread, the yeast companies made a fortune that they hadn't made in quite a while. 
Everybody was home rolling in the dough, I guess. And the mask producers. And I guess some of them still making quite a bit. Those mask producers, masks were everywhere pretty quickly. You could pick them up and some of them were expensive and some of them were not so much. And I don't want to overlook the toilet paper manufacturers. Remember that. Some of you, some of you probably still have a stockpile in a closet at home somewhere just, just waiting, just in case. Well, I say some of those things a little bit facetiously, and I hope you understand that. But they're, they're real. They're things that happen, aren't they? Some of them we laughed at. Some of them we worried about. Some of them we struggle with and so forth. And, and as I said, regardless how you look at these things, I think there have been also for us, especially as a church, there have been more present, temporary, and even continuing adaptations that we have made. None of them have been immediately desired. But of course, none of them being desired are, are even easy. But of course, I think we have striven. We've striven always to be unified as, as a people. Unified in our ideas of what we should do and should be done, at least to the best of our ability. Yes, we've had struggles. We've had to work at it. Some have not liked it at all. Still, I firmly believe that we, in whatever we have done as a body, whatever we have done and what we continue to do, was what we believed, at least in the time, was necessary due to our circumstances. And while always striving to do what we believe was right with the word of God, we wanted to be consistent with his desire for us. So today, today in a smaller way, we're at another threshold. Of course, we don't have any idea fully what the time frames are in the mind of God. We don't know what the future really holds or what God, as I say, has in his plans. And yet we still make plans. We still move forward. We still think about tomorrow and the next day and the next and maybe years down the road. And that's only right that we should. But at the same time, we understand we don't know what is in the mind of God or what the time frames will be. Whether we see a lengthy future or not, we are intended to be good stewards, stewards of our times and stewards of our opportunities. I think it is challenging to us that we no doubt must be like the sons of Issachar who had an understanding of the times as it was described. We need to be aware, understanding, and useful of the times that are at our disposal. We can't sit back and wish we were in yesterday or try to figure out how will we, be, we will be judged by tomorrow. We must live within our times and our place and do the very best we can within them. As I think about that change that took place in the life of Paul, he recounts it in a small way in Acts chapter 22. We could go to its beginning in Acts 9 when he is confronted on the road, but he describes it here in Acts 22 as he lays it out before the people. He says, now, verse 6, now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly 
a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told the things that are appointed for you to do. Pivotal moment, pivotal moment in the life of Saul of Tarsus, better known as Paul the Apostle. A pivotal moment came about. Did he know where it was leading him? Did he know exactly what he was going to have to do? No. But we can read on in his story and we begin to recognize there were dramatic changes he began to make in his life. He was still the same man, but there were changes he had to make in his life. And the one who had once persecuted became a proclaimer. The ones who had once pushed these people aside now drew close to them. That's what happens sometimes. When an unexpected change comes along and ultimately becomes a blessing. I was thinking this week and trying to figure the best way I could to say the things I wanted to say this morning at this beginning of the year. And a line came to my mind of a, of a television program several years ago. As a fellow said in the, in the program, I didn't hear no bullet. Even with great warning, though, even with great warning, even if we heard the bullet, even with great warning, there is often something of a struggle to relate to the changes that are coming our way. In Ezekiel, the prophecy is laid out there for the watchman to, to broadcast, to make known when the enemy might be attacking or something bad was happening. And let the trumpet be sounded. And he said, any of you sound the trumpet. If you don't sound the trumpet, it's your fault. But if you sound the trumpet and people hear it and they respond and they are saved, then good. If they hear it and don't respond, it's their fault. And that's what I'm saying. Sometimes, even with great warning, we don't respond as we ought to respond. But when we hear bad news, when we hear something that's sounding a bad news, there is a part of us that tends to hope it's not going to happen. If you've ever found yourself flying into an automobile accident, there is that, that fraction of a second before the cars collide or whatever happens. There's that fraction of a second that says, maybe we'll stop before the collision. With bad news, we hope it will just not happen if it's bad news. There was a dear lady that we knew in a Drexel congregation several years ago, and she came in and she announced that she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. As you know, that is quite often a very short death sentence. Improvements have been made over the years, and this is quite a few years ago. Well, she decided to get her affairs in order. Her husband had, was already deceased, but she began to get her affairs in order and got herself, and she was preparing to die. The days went by, and she seemed to get no worse. The weeks went by and she seemed to get no worse. Even months went by and she seemed to get no worse. There seemed to be very little change in her life. And I remember her commenting at one day, she says, I'm just not convinced. 
Finally, she and her family returned to the doctor and they ran tests again. And the doctor says, yes, you do. You're just one of those people in which it has been slower, but it is coming and there's not much we can do about it. She thought maybe she'd been misdiagnosed and it wasn't going to happen. It wasn't a lot later before she passed away. Sometimes we hear the bullet, sometimes we don't. But forewarning doesn't always mean acceptance or preparation is on our part. There are people who still drive into deep water in the storms, even though we're warned again and again not to do it. And I wish I had a dollar for every time a member of the church said to me, I didn't know we were doing that. Even though it had been in bulletins, even though it had been in public announcements, even though it had been listed on the screen, they'd say, I didn't know that was happening. Because we can have all the warnings in the world and not absorb them. That is an ability that we have. I do think about a couple of young fellows, a friend of mine and I, when we were about 19 years of age, sitting on the roof of my parents' house as a tornado was blasting its way through Tulsa, and we just wanted to catch a glimpse of a tornado. Only idiot youngsters would do something like that. But forewarning doesn't always mean acceptance or preparation for what's coming your way. But sometimes we don't have much warning. We have little to no warning sometimes. I think about what is stated in 1 Thessalonians 5 as well as some others. That the coming of the Lord will will be as a, you've heard the phrase, haven't you? A thief in the night. We need to be thinking about that. Come as a thief in the night. Sudden accidents have dramatically altered people's lives of things they didn't see coming. They began a day at a normal day and some dramatic accident comes along and injures them, takes away the the normalcy of life that they have clung to for so long. So friends, just because we know there is a possibility doesn't mean we believe it's going to happen to us. Even Jesus addressing a crowd in his own time as recorded in Luke 13 is talking about you think you're better off than some. You think those people whose blood was mingled by Pilate and died there that couldn't happen to you. You think just because the the tower fell on a few people from the pool at Siloam and they died, it couldn't happen to you. Jesus goes on, except you repent, in other words, and except you change your course, you can find perishing also down the way. And so as I I said, and this was related in that television show, is actually in MASH, the movies may present us with a false idea, a false idea about the sound of the approaching bullet. The truth is, by the time you hear the bullet, You've already been struck. So we're talking about what's come our way and changes. In the church, we don't like to see things change. We like the comfort of the familiar. We like the familiar tradition. We like things to be as they are, and we like them to stay that way. We don't want people to get old and die. We don't want them to get sick. We don't like things to change. We don't even like our carpet to wear out. Too much trouble to change it. And there is an old joke. There's an old joke that used to pass around from time to time. Maybe it'll strike a chord with you. It's one of those, how many does it take? How many elders does it take to change a light bulb is the question in the joke. The answer to the question is, change? Okay. 
Think about it, and it'll come home sooner or later. I know, it's just a joke. But in reality, there are many changes we have seen in our lives. In the short span on the earth, we've seen many come our way. Especially those of us who've been part of the church for a long time, we've seen quite a few changes, maybe subtle, sometimes large. Sometimes it's, I'm not talking about doctrinal changes so much. In some places, we're seeing that even so. But I'm thinking about things like Bible classes and what kind of classes we would have and how many classes we would have and the time that our classes would meet, about our worship times and when we would meet and even the length of those times that we meet, about the songs that we sing and new songs that come our way and the types of songs that we sing in many ways, the clothing that people wear when they come into worship or something like that, and even the words that we use, the familiarity has changed how we are. Many of these things for good for good, good things. Some of them may be a little more challenging. But when we talk about change and our hesitance to change, I think there are two fears. There are two fears that come our way, and this gets kind of personal, doesn't it? Two fears with changes. One is that we will do something wrong. That's a good fear. We don't want to do something wrong. We don't want to break God's word. We don't want to go against what he said, whether of ignorance or of our own selfish determination. But the second one may be even the bigger one. We fear that we will not be comfortable with the change. You see, my friends, there are really two types of changes that come our way. There are the slow kind of evolutionary, and I'm not talking about science, I'm talking about how they evolve over time, that are the natural progression of time, necessity, uh, uh, cultural adaptations to living in this world and where we are. There was a time where they had gas lights hanging from the ceilings of church buildings. There were times when they didn't have gas lights. There were times they met together and they could only meet pretty much in daylight hours or else they had to light torches in a room and it would get warm in the room and somebody would fall out of the window. Yeah, sometimes we see change as a very positive thing. I kind of like coming into a place that has carpeting on the floor and air conditioning, don't you? I kind of like indoor plumbing, don't you? I kind of like that we have comfortable pews to sit on that weren't so comfortable when I was a child. There are a lot of changes that have come our way that might seem to be subtle, normal, just kind of the evolutionary changes, natural progression of time and necessity. But there are also those sudden changes brought about by uncontrollable events, things like wars and pandemics that come along. Yes, we haven't been equated with too many pandemics in our lifetime, but we have most recently. The other end, not only the uncontrollable events, would be the determined actions. Somebody says, I just want it changed and sudden change without regard to scripture or other, li- other types of uh, recognition of people and the church. But there are the sudden changes and there are the slow evolutionary changes. What I'm talking about this morning is probably more of the more sudden changes that have come our way. Because I believe there have been a few changes that have been brought by the pandemic that if we will look at them very carefully may become blessings to us, even great blessings if we allow them to do so. They're not always easy. 
but I believe they can be a blessing to us if we will think about them and use them carefully. Again, I'm leaning a lot on my own thinking in some of this. One, I would say, has been brought as a raised raised level of awareness of one another. Maybe it is having to be separated, not being able to shake hands, not being able to embrace and so forth without fear. Maybe it is that sense of not feeling comfortable in the company of other people that brought us to be more aware of one another, more conducive to the needs of other people. I think tradition and routine, especially routine, can be an asset to simply taking one another for granted over time. We just kind of expect you'll always be there. You know, it's hard for me to go to my hometown, back to Tulsa, and drive down the street where I grew up by my father and mother's house and not see them there. I have a hard time being there because I have so many familiar memories, even of my adulthood and married life, of backing out of that driveway and my father standing in the garage waving goodbye. It's hard to go there, but changes come, don't they? But we have a raised level of awareness of one another and the importance of the people around us. We look around and we see people who are important to us and maybe at a greater level than we did before this struck us and we were pushed apart. I think about how we tried to put out that video. We did put out that video of people greeting one another and how exciting it was to think about that and how exciting it was to even begin to come back into an assembly again even though we felt like we needed to be separated in some regard or another. I think there is a truly raised level of awareness of one another today over the things that have happened in the last three years. Number two, I believe there is an inventive means to communicate that has risen even greater. If you consider the number of podcasts, the number of presentations, the number of devotionals, the number of sermons that are now online on YouTube, it's multiplied over what it was years ago. There were congregations that were live streaming their services. We were not. But you think about the rise of live streaming, of the Zoom classes, as I said, the podcasts and other media that have opened the door to greater and broader communication and opportunities that we weren't grasping prior to this time. I think about how we are being more communicative with people out in the world and around about us. Even Jesus addresses that, especially in Mark, he does, the ability to reach out and touch people's lives in a broader way. I think about people that are online with us right now. We've got some of our members who are no longer able to be here with us. It's not an excuse and should never be an excuse not to be here. Say, well, I can just watch it online. That was never the intent, and don't use it that way. But when you can't be here, the opportunity to use something to share as closely as you can with other Christians, I think is a great asset of our time and everything that wouldn't have come in the sense that it did were it not for the force that was placed upon us. And number three, an appreciation of being able to assemble. I've already touched that, but we continue to see people ready to be among people without harsh restrictions and distance. We want to be together. I think we find that. We know that. Maybe that's something we've had for a long time, but I think there is an appreciation of it that is at a greater level today than it has been. Yes, there are people that have a hard time coming back into an assembly after these years, but still it is there. The appreciation of being able to assemble together 
Paul talked to some degree about that and how much he wanted to be with that church in Rome and to impart to them a great gift in Romans chapter 1. I think that's the way we are. We need to be with people. We need to see people face to face. And so there is an appreciation of being able to assemble together at a greater level than it was before. And then I think, fourthly, there is, I think there has been a revived meaning in the actions of worship. Our psalms, our prayers, even the Lord's Supper. I know we've struggled a bit with the idea of using the kind of cups that we do, the same way people struggled with using trays and, and disposable cups or the crystal cups in days past. People struggled with those things. And whether you could have pre-made matzos crackers or you had to have somebody's homemade uh, unleavened bread. We've struggled with things like that over the years. But from time, over time, we generally find that there is great opportunity within the changes that we find. I'll tell you personally what I, I have found, and I know I'm not alone by any means. The being able to take the cup, same stuff in it, Take the cup and share it at the same time. The same time. Everybody else in the assembly is taking that. We're not waiting for a tray to pass down. down. Not that that was what we did. And yes, they're not trying to criticize it. But saying, being able to take that cup and share it at the same moment with others adds a dimension of meaning if we will allow it that may have been lowered as we sat around waiting for it to come our way. No, I'm not criticizing it. I'm just saying there is an opportunity. If we're willing to see it in a good way and partaking of that bread and drinking of that cup, regardless of the manner that it comes to us, the power of the the bread and the fruit of the vine is the same regardless. And I think there has been a revived meaning in being able to be with Christians to share it together. I know we place an importance on that. Because there were people that came by week after week during the times we couldn't meet, week after week, time after time, wanting some more of the cups so they could take them home so we could share it together at the same time. There is something important about being together and doing things together and the importance of sharing the Lord's Supper. And even Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 11, of not of uh, doing that together, not doing it in a, any kind of harem scarum way, not that we would ever do that, but in the sense of sharing it together in a very powerful meaning. And I think if we let that sink in, I think we can find great meaning to be shared in that. I've always felt like we needed great meaning in the Lord's Supper. That's why not too long after I came here, I said, we need to have somebody get up and make some remarks before the Lord's Supper. Draw our attention to this most important aspect of what we're doing, that our thinking might be there as we partake of that bread and drink of that cup. And then fifthly, fifthly, I believe there, is, there has grown a greater sense of personal responsibility. One of the things that I noted during, during our breaks uh, when we couldn't meet together for a time was that how readily people were to come by and bring contributions. Not only to come and get the emblems of the Lord's Supper and pick those up, but to... Uh, to bring by a, a contribution, a financial contribution, it, it intrigued me. People would come by and maybe we would open the door and they'd drop it off that way. Some actually came into the building and did so. Some would just stick it in the mailbox outside. And, and how many stuck a stamp on it and mailed it in? And, of course, that's what encouraged us to think about doing it online as well. 
but a greater sense of personal responsibility and financial giving through driving by to deposit, sent through the mail or, 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 or something. I think it challenged us to do something and be better with it. We can appreciate the worship in those times when we cannot physically assemble. I think we can see how important it is to us. But as I said The live stream and such is never intended to be used as an excuse or a crutch. Well, there are other things, I say, but as I've rattled on about these, I know I'm talking about much of it. I'm talking about my perception, and some may disagree with some of my perceptions in this, but I think these are a few of the things that we've seen, and what I'm trying to get across is when we are forced to look at change, when we are abruptly forced to look at change, what we need to see is the opportunity to turn that into or use it as a blessing for us. Yes, there may be other things, and there are things that we don't want and things that we we want to change, things we want to not be forced upon us. But there, you get the idea. Let's look at it and see what we can draw out of it and make it good. I want you to remember something as I conclude, that some of the Jews, especially the leadership of the Jews, thought Jesus was there to destroy the law. He said, I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill in Matthew 5. He said he came to fulfill the law. In other words, what he brought and what he did gave meaning to what they had been trying to do all along. Let's give meaning. Let's see things for blessings. Let's draw strength from things that we can. And always try to do it according to what God would have us to do, even within our circumstances. This morning we will sing a song of encouragement and invitation. We haven't talked about what one must do to become a child of God. I mentioned that Acts 2. You come down to the point and Peter tells them that this Jesus whom you crucified, God's raised him up, made him both Lord and Christ. And they said, what should we do? He said, repent. In other words, turn your lives to him and be baptized into him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you know, that very day, people recognized it, and 3,000 people, that very day, 3,000 people. Can you imagine that? Our baptistry's not big enough to get 3,000 people baptized in a day. 3,000 people said, that's what I want to do. Maybe you need to accept Christ's invitation. Maybe you need to obey the gospel this very day. If you do, we want to encourage you to do so. If you have another need, we stand ready to assist you in that need this day. And I hope the things we said this morning are things that encourage and help us in a very positive way to be on the best track possible. If you need to come this morning, won't you do so while we stand, while we sing this song together.